You know the episode of Roadrunner where the Roadrunner is sitting on top of the mountain with this gigantic boulder and Wiley e. Coyote is right there on the bottom and he thinks he's going to be safe, but the Roadrunner gives it just a little nudge with his beak and then it rolls down the hill and it picks up energy and, and it wipes out the Wiley e. Coyote like it always does. Yeah, well, think about this. How awesome would it be if you could do that with your learners? Not run them over, but help them learn better with the power of a simple nudge. We're going to talk about that and so much more with our special guest, Susan Franzen, on this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, which starts right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hey, Jake. Welcome. Susan, welcome. We're glad you're here. Glad to making be here. this making the studio a much brighter place than it is when I have to deal with these two guys all the time. <laughs> hey, we've got good smiles, Bob. You know, it's hey, true. Susan has a good one, but we've got good smiles. It's a Friday. We're all happy. I have a fantastic right. smile. <laughs> well, that was a long delay pause laugh. Okay, well, I guess I was not. <laughs> no, Jake. I, w- I was just wondering: is there a particular reason you have a fantastic smile today? Is there anything you're smiling? For? I don't know. Uh, today, no. Today's because it's been a long four weeks of performance stuff and long meetings, and and I was watching Dune, so I felt for part. That's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at the risk of, of time boxing our, our always timeless podcasts, uh, last night I went to the Dodgers game, which was, you know, the Dodgers were down three games to one. And yeah. we all, we all, I was just telling Dana this, we all went to the park thinking it was just going to be a, bye guys, thanks for a great season. You worked really hard. Give me one more <laughs> Dodger dog and I'll go home. Close and, up the stadium. Yeah, exactly. And, and then they wound up beating them 11 to 2, which was fantastic. So now by the time this episode actually airs, I think the World Series will probably be over. And I don't know if this will hold up. But as of right now, <laughs> really yeah, great the, day. That's what the power of editing is all about, right? We can always take that out. Yeah, exactly. But we won't. We won't. We won't. But Dana, would you care to, to give a little bit more of an introduction to our special guest? Yeah, I'd love to. This is uh, We're grateful to have Susan Franzen join us. She is Vice President of Strategy and Leadership for Axiom Learning Solutions. Um, she has a master's in the neuroscience of leadership. And I first met Susan when one of our colleagues at Accenture said, hey, Dana, you need to meet Susan because you two speak the same language. <laughs> and uh, in the green room, I was just saying we do, but she speaks it better than I do. She's more fluent than I am. Um, so she uh, she shared some great work with me. And I was so impressed with, in particular, her ability to infuse neuroscience into learning programs without saying, hey, look, I'm weaving neuroscience into learning programs, which is sometimes what we do, right? So yeah, this is a really good one uh, program because we have neuroscience. Plus one anyway, neuroscience. It, yeah. yeah. It, it, so I, you know, I kind of got the impression that um, she just kind of eats, sleeps, and breathes, and thinks neuroscience for learning, and it just kind of comes natural to her. I was particularly intrigued with one of the concepts she talked to us about, and she only touched on it briefly. She talked about um, nudge theory, and I hadn't heard of nudge theory, and it seemed like a topic worth exploring. So I read a little bit more on it, and and talked to Bob and Jake, and I and we said, let's get her on because this is something that I think has lots of implications on uh, on learning. The other th- connection that we may make a little bit later um, is that as she talked about it, I, what came to my mind was the concept of cognitive artifacts. 
And so we'll, we'll, we'll see if that comes up in the discussion. If not, we'll save that for another time. So Susan, we're glad to have you here. Please fill in any blanks that I may have left unfilled <laughs> and help us understand what nudge theory is all about. Well, thanks, Dana. It's great to join you and Bob and Jake uh, today and, and to talk about this. It's one of my favorite, what I call brain hacks, um, because you can use it on yourself, you can use it on others. And, um, you know, I just kind of want to go back to that, that opening segment. So I want to make sure that when we use nudge theory, we use it for good and not evil. So, so not rolling <laughs> balls down on top of our learners. But you know, the coyote uh, lived. The coyote lived. The he coyote always, does. always lives. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it is it it can be a form of manipulation, but that's not how it was um, conceived, and it's not typically how it's used. Um, the real value of nudge theory is it's it's a small shift um, in our in our thinking in our environment that causes us to make better choices. And so it actually was born in behavioral economics. So Richard Thaler, Cass Sunstein, um, they researched this based on the work of others. They, they tie it back to Maslow, they tie it back to, um, to, to many others. And it's really about how do we help people to exercise their free will in ways that benefit them and society. So this isn't about trying to get somebody to do what you want them to do. This is about getting them to do something that's in their best interest to do. And so that's where I think it's really fascinating when it re relates to learning, because it applies to not just how we design and roll out learning programs, but the choices that we provide for learners within those learning programs. So a nudge is indirect, right? It, it's something that sort of bypasses our natural resistance, it bypasses our, um, our confrontation and it kind of helps us overcome inertia. So the example that I shared with Dana when, when we first met was, you know, I don't like to work out. So what I do is I nudge myself to get on the treadmill for five minutes, right? And then once I'm on there, then I have more choices. So everybody likes to have choices, right? And, and we're constantly having to make choices. But if we can get people to interact with something for a short period of time, if we can um, get them engaged with something in a way that has a positive outcome, that's considered a nudge. Now, let me share the difference between a nudge and a nag. <laughs> so, Because <laughs> some people will say, well, what's, you know, what, what's a nag? So to me, a nag is more like a mandate, right? You have to get this done. You keep getting the emails about you've got to take this training. You've got to complete this course. You've got ethics and compliance training. Exactly. You've got to have it, have it done by December 19th. So that's, right. that's not a nudge. That's not a nudge. That's, that's a that's nag. A nag. Yeah. <laughs> and so we tend to resist nags because we don't want people telling us what to do. Um, but a nudge uh, really is something like, hey, you've got to, you know, we need you to complete this by such and such a date. And so here's three different ways you can complete it. Which one would you prefer, right? Um, one of the, the best nudges I ever experienced was someone who didn't even know that they were nudging. And, and I'm sure that as you learn more about this, you're going to realize that you probably do this every day. Um, but we were doing a, a, a large assessment within the organization and we there was a resource that the chancellor of the system needed and so his his deputy called and said hey um he needs that resource so i can book you on commercial flights home or i can book you a rental car so that you can all drive home which would you prefer right not giving me the choice to not have that resource but making sure that um that it really ties into what is in the best interest and, and I have to make it, I get to make a choice, right? So I'm not told what to do, but I get to make that choice. 
Um, one of the things that I found interesting about the information that Dana, you sent in advance was the concept of, of cognitive artifacts, like let's yeah. say a pill case, right? So mm. the cognitive artifact is the pill case. Nudge says, do you want to take the vitamins or the medicine first? Right? And so when we think about learning, we have to make choices in how we roll out learning. We have to make choices in how we design learning. So why not become better architects of those choices so that people feel empowered and like they have the autonomy and the free will within those learning programs? Um, one of the things that we like to do in our programs is to make sure that we're giving people choices, not just how and when and where they take that learning, but how they make decisions within the learning. So rather than saying, this is the only way that you can get it done, the nudge theory says, hey, here's what needs to happen. So you could choose this option, you could choose that option, or maybe it's allowing them to come up with their own option. And again, it, it just, it cuts down on the resistance, it cuts down on our need to confront and, and, um, and you know, basically say, I don't wanna do this. Um, and then the other piece real quickly before we start going into a greater conversation is one of my favorite things with Nudge is called opt out. And so we use this to engage people into the program. So it's, it takes a lot more energy for us to opt out. And so, as I said earlier, you know, Nudge helps us to overcome inertia. If we ask people to sign up for learning programs, they're less likely to do that. If we sign them up and ask them to opt out or to change the date or time of that learning, they're less likely to do that because that requires more energy. So nudge, the, the thing about nudges is that it's simple, it's small, and it doesn't require a lot of energy. So one of the things going back to your analogy about not wanting to exercise, if we were to tie cognitive artifacts back to that, that what I used to do uh, when I knew that in the morning I would not want to get out and go for a run I would put my shoes right at my bed. So when I stepped out, I'd stepped on my shoes. It's like, oh, okay. That's a great <laughs> And nice. then, yeah. and then, so that cognitive artifact got me out the door. And it's true. Once you're out there for a couple of minutes, it's like, well, I may as well keep going. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there's a mm -hmm. tight correlation between cognitive artifacts and, and, and nudge theory. Um, I, I love Don Norman's comment. He said that the power of the unaided mind is greatly exaggerated. <laughs> Right. And I think yeah. both both nudge and cognitive artifacts um, help the help the mind to get aided rather than unaided. It, it's true. And, you know, I mean, if you think about the fact that we don't make decisions logically and rationally, we make decisions instinctively and irrationally. And so nudges help us to kind of channel or funnel those decisions, those irrational instinctive decisions into something that's positive, like going out and running. Yeah. Well, it seems like choice is really the operative factor there, right? At least the, the, uh, if I have, if I feel like I have a choice, then I have agency and I'm more engaged in that as a result. And I, I like, you know, one of the, the pieces that we were looking at, I think one of the examples that Thaler gave was in laying out a cafeteria. And, you know, we have to, we have to decide to put the food somewhere. So why don't we just go ahead and decide we're going to put the salads first before the burgers, because we know that will help people make a healthier choice. Um, it's kind of like that idea of you've got to do it anyway, you've got to present choices anyway. So why don't we just architect these choices in a way 
where people are more likely to select the choices that are good for them. Well, Bob, and one one connection there is, you know, in our learning centers, there's always break areas, right? Snack areas. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are certain snacks that people will always go for, the colorful M&Ms. But why not, you know, put apples in the front of the snack area and put the M&Ms and the goldfish crackers in the back, right? And I just, uh, because we know that the nutrition, if they take advantage of the healthier foods, it's going to help them cognitively. Exactly. And and you're looking at the amount of energy it takes to walk past all of that healthy food to get to the unhealthy food as well. So Susan, I got a question though. So like in, you know, saying we need choices and we can give choices, that sounds easier said than done, uh, especially in a world where we're full of choices. So how do you do that? How do we deal with that when we have so many choices and to avoid uh, overload, cognitive overload, and eventually chaos. No, that it won't go that extreme, but you know, but to the point where how do we limit the the choices? I guess that's a great question, Jake. And I, you know, I always recommend limit it, limit the choices to two or three in any given situation. So I'll give you an example. I was helping a friend watch his um, five year old grandson. And he was supposed, the grandson was supposed to go for a, either a walk or a bike ride that afternoon. And the grandfather, when I walked in, was saying, you have to go for, we have to go outside. And the child was saying, no, 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 I don't want to go outside. And I said, can I try something? He said, sure. I, so I walked over and I said, would you like to go for a ride, a bike ride or a walk? And he said, I'd like to go for a bike ride. I said, okay, do you want to go for a short ride or a long ride? I want to go for a short ride. Okay, so each time we got to an intersection, I said, do you want to go right, left or straight? He made those choices and we ended up taking a really nice walk with him on his bike, um, which we wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. And so when we think about how we integrate that into learning programs, it's giving them one to two choices, maybe three um, of how they're interacting with that material or what they're going to do with that material. And that helps to um, eliminate that overwhelm. I would imagine it also drops, you know, when we talk about how the amygdala jumps in with the fight or flight, right? I mean, so when someone says you have to do this, uh, the, the amygdala kicks in, right? That, and and if you end. give them yeah. choices, that maybe removes part of that defensiveness. Do we know that people are less inclined to, or I should say more inclined to go ahead and choose one of your options or put their foot down like a toddler and say, I don't want any of those. (laughs) (laughs) So rarely have I had somebody say neither of those. Um, But when I have, I've said, okay, so what do you think the choices should be? Hmm. And, and just redirect it back to them. Again, it's, it's that perception of free will and choice that we're, we're cultivating within that environment. Um, And, you know, and I've had a lot of Leaders say to me, well, you know, it has to be this way. Legally, it has to be this way. And I said, well, that may be the case, but the way that you're presenting it comes across as a nag instead of a nudge and then causes people to resist and fight it. And it's just, it, things just go so much smoother. And what's interesting is even if I know you're nudging me, I am more likely to go along with it than, than to resist it. So we don't always want to do nudges behind the, the, the consciousness of the people. We can say we're going to be using nudge theory and here's how it works so that they're aware of it. It still works, even if I know that you're doing it. And I wonder if in part that's because people appreciate the freedom of making a choice, but they also appreciate some degree of guidance. Mm-hmm. 
So, Susan, the, earlier you mentioned um, going going back to the Roadrunner example, and that we could use this for the wrong reasons. Um, what are some examples of doing it that way? Um, and then, you know, like you said, that you can manipulate something or to make someone choose something that you don't want to. What have you seen that can be done incorrectly? <laughs> I don't want to give I... anybody any ideas. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking for Just be very clear right now. This is the <laughs> negative example portion of today's show. <laughs> don't do the things that Susan is about to say. Okay. Well, and the only reason the only reason I ask this question, Susan, so part of uh, so part of what I do, I help I, I lead our research and innovation learning lab. And we had a project recently that uh, wrapped up and was on the topic of persuasive design. And what we wanted to learn from that, and persuasive design is all about how do you, how do you actually use the technology that you're using and the user experience that you're using within the technology. Um, how do you utilize um, behavioral techniques to make something more persuasive. But of course, when we were doing it, we were trying to figure out how do we do it in a ethical way. So we're taking, of course, the positives, but we're also uncovering the negatives. So I was trying to think in terms of the nudge theory, what are those negatives to ensure that we are more ethical when we, when we uh, do this? So I, I think intent is really important. Um, you know, when you go into this, you need to be thinking about what is in the best interest of the individual, the organization, the society, right? Um, because if you're going into it just because there's a best interest for you, that that colors the structure of your choices. And so, you know, when we think about how governments have used nudge theory and continue to use nudge theory, um, it helps people to increase their long-term savings by um, having them opt have to out, opt out of a long-term savings plan as opposed to having to opt into a long-term savings plan, right? Um, but if the government wanted to, you know, basically manipulate people into doing something that was good for the government but not good for the individuals, they could use that same technique. Um, and and you think about, you know some of the social media and how addictive that is, right? And some of that uses nudge um, very subtly, right? Those are subtle, subtle nudges to, oh, you got to go check your, you know, your social media page, and then you kind of get sucked into all of that. But to, to what end and for what purpose, right? Does that improve your life, the life of lives of others? Um, so you have to kind of think about that too. And it seems like there's an equality, <laughs> you know, like equal amounts of benefit, right? Because those same social media companies will say, oh, yeah, we are doing good in the world. Like, look at all these great connections that are happening while people are suffering pains of addiction and all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and what's funny, I'm not hopefully not going too far off track here, but one um, question that a few of us had a couple months ago was social media as well as certain AI-based technology or algorithms, it's actually designed in a way that disrupts a an effective learner or they can effective learner. Mm -hmm. So for example, an effective learn, learner is usually curious, explores horizon, but by doing that, what it's doing is, is actually trying to narrow your window to find something specific and dive into that area as much as you're trying to avoid it. So there's like this constant barrier. And I think Susan, to your point, that is one of the negative aspects of certain technologies and, and, and platforms is to get you to dive into an area or go into an area or steer to a different direction. And that can cause even more issues as well for a learner. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you think about behavioral economics is really, you know, one, it's about how do people make purchasing decisions and, and how does the economy flow based on those decisions, right? So potentially there could be manipulation in that environment, but most, um, at least most of the research that I've done, it's about how do we, how do we make sure that everyone can be successful in that environment, right? And, and if we tie it back to learning, how do we, we have to make choices about what goes in what order within a learning program, how that learning program is going to be delivered. Why, why can't we do it in a way that naturally works with the brain, the way the brain works mm-hmm. and gives, empowers and gives choices to the learner? I would think that as a learning designer, the way I could cozy up to this concept a little bit more is really by examining what is it that I'm going for, right? Am I going for my learners to have improved knowledge, improved performance to get the business results? Or is what I'm going for for them to go through my awesome learning program? Hmm. Right. And, you know, if I'm more well, focused it's obviously on... your awesome learning program. Box. Anybody <laughs> right. who's been yeah, through yeah, one yeah. of those knows that that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, then they have a choice and the choice is they stay home. But <laughs> right. But if what I'm going for is is the improved performance, then I'm way more likely to want to design several paths for people to get there uh, or to be comfortable with that than I am with just saying, no, they've got to do it the way I'm thinking about it or else it won't work. Mm-hmm. Well, and Bob, one of the things that comes to mind and, and Susan and Jake, I, you guys may have may know this, but one of the things we've been working with is uh, how do we do more of integrating work and learning, right? So that mm-hmm. it's the whole mm-hmm. learning in the flow of work. And um, it seems that there could be some opportunities to use nudge theory um, closer to the task rather than branching people out into into training and official learning programs. Is, Susan, do you have any examples or any thoughts on on how do you bring that those two closer together, nudge theory and work and learning? So I, I think that kind of is where the, the cognitive artifacts might come in, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, as Don Nor- Norman talked about, artifacts don't change our individual capabilities. They change the nature of the nature task, of the task. Yeah. right? And so if we're using nudge to help drive the change to the nature of the task, then a subset of that or an outcome of that could be changing the individual's capabilities where the cognitive artifact could not do that alone. Yeah. So maybe just a little riffing on cognitive artifacts. I was introduced to it several years ago when I read Don Norman's book called Things That Make Us Smart. And the idea is that there are things in our environment and things that we can place in our in our way that, uh, that we use to kind of leverage, um, that we leverage to enhance our thinking and our memory. So, I mean, a, a clear example is it's not uncommon to, you know, say, hey, uh, I want to remember to bring this, uh, this casserole to the church outing, right, a church gathering. Okay, let's put a yellow sticky note on the door leading out to the car, right? Uh, so you can't miss it. It's right there. And you don't have to worry about mem- remembering it. All you have to do is start walking out the door and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm brilliant. I remember that I have to take the casserole to the church outing. Um, and I mentioned the shoe one earlier, but, um, you know, as Don Norman points out, there are a lot of ways you can go with this. So checklists, job aids, those types of things are all cognitive artifacts because what they do is they free our, 
thinking and our memory to be able to focus on other things, or they make them consistent. Like the another example is, um, you know, when when uh, airline pilots go through their checklist, right? They don't have all have their own checklist. They have one that has been approved, uh, and you know, by some super knowledgeable pilot and then undoubtedly by the FAA and others. So everybody's using that same checklist. Now it might be a little bit of a nuisance, but it also makes sure that things are done in a consistent way and people don't have to rely on their memory. So, you know, I think, I think there is a tight correlation between nudge and cognitive artifacts. And I think there's a real good opportunity for learning designers to take a step back and say, you know, am I, am I designing this cognitive artifact, whatever it may be, in a way that it is implementing nudge rather than nag. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Dana, because as you were talking about that, I, I was thinking back to why recycle bins are larger than garbage cans. If we want people to recycle more, we have a tendency to want to fill things up. So, um, so the key there is that that is a cognitive artifact, right? So we've got a larger recycle bin. Um, but the nudge is that it's easier for me to recycle them than it is for me to throw things away because of that natural tendency to fill things up. Well, and, and, and Bob would know the details on this, but it seems to me that when they were designing Disney World, that they decided the distance from that they would put trash cans was based on how long it would take someone to eat um, like an Eskimo pie or something. That's like exactly that right. They, yep. Is that right? Yep. So I, we had to bring in the Disney reference. We haven't done that yet. So it was good. Well, I was going to, right. and you did it already, Dana. Oh, so that was well, great. I was going to tell that in exact the story. No, that's great. <laughs> I mean, that was exactly it. Well, you know, the, to to then make the obligatory Star Wars connection, but this is legit because Susan sent us this article right before we went on the air. <laughs> is uh, is a Jedi mind trick, right? So, and this kind of gets into the when is it good for you versus when is it manipulation. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's kind of like I think that the quintessential Jedi mind trick that we know that everybody knows of, of these are not the droids that you're looking for from Star Wars Episode four um, is borderline manipulation, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which wouldn't be not past you. Um, <laughs> somebody whose grasp on the truth is a little questionable sometimes. Uh <laughs> You know, because it, it was it was self-serving. Now, it was for the good of the universe, of course, but it was a little bit self-serving. On, on the other hand, there is the point in Star Wars Episode 2, Jake, I think your favorite one, where he goes into My the cantina. My favorite one? Yeah. I, it was, it, I, was I know being you're ironic. being sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where Obi-Wan goes into the bar and the guy offers him the death, death sticks and he uses the Jedi mind trick to say, yes, you know, yeah. you, you want to go home you and rethink your, re your, re your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. he was motivated to help him. So it seems more like like that aspect of it is a little bit more of a nudge. Mm -hmm. Whereas the these are not the droids you're looking for, you know, might be a little more on the manipulation side. I don't know. What do you think, Susan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right. You know, I, I, and I think like when I think of of nudge for positive versus nudge for um, manipulation. I kind of envision a, a sidewalk, right? So sidewalks are there for us to, to, you know, stay on the path. Our, our natural tendency is to cut across instead of do the nice squared versions of sidewalks that we have, but a sidewalk that leads us to, you know, 
a huge drop into the water or some, some other dangerous <laughs> place, that's a manipulation, right? So, yeah. um, so, you know, as we're, as we're thinking about designing our learning programs, how are we creating sidewalks in ways that learners actually will use them and in ways that will get them somewhere safely. Very interesting. Look, you know what, guys, looking at the clock on the studio wall, we're getting close to the end of our time. That went fast. Is this a nudge? It did go fast. So do we want to wrap up now or do we want to go further? No, I'm not even going to. <laughs> Maybe That's I'll put a great it, nudge. May, <laughs> I think it was the uh, the yellow sticky that Jake held up saying it's time. I think that was the, uh, that was the cognitive <laughs> Although you Actually, you know what? There, there is one other thing I wanted to touch on. I, I almost forgot. It, is what you were saying about the yellow sticky on the door, right? Is there comes a point where it's there so often we come we become blind to it right and yes. we miss yeah. it and and this is something that sherry and i have been teasing ourselves about like we keep our basket of masks right by the door because we know you know in the time of the pandemic we need to put on a mask when we're going outside we keep them right by the door the number of times we walk right past that basket and we forget the <laughs> the mask and then we have to come oh we forgot our mask is is way too much so um I, I think that's a legitimate question is how do we make sure that the the nudges aren't so much that people almost become blind to them and that that that, that was kind of going back to that earlier question of of thinking about giving him too many choices too many nudges, choices yeah. right uh, too many and 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 also being cautious of how you use it right you only have so many cards how are you going to give it to them right? use them effectively <laughs> you know that's <laughs> something to watch out for you can also change the color of the sticky note. That's true. Good idea. Yeah, you can also put the, the mask in each of your jacket pockets. You can put the mask on, hang it on the, the door uh, knob as you're going out. I mean, you, you can change up where the and how the nudge occurs. The important thing is that it's simple and it's easy. Okay, well, now we really are out of time. So, Susan, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Uh, to all of our listeners, we'd love to hear back what you think on this. You know, feel free to reply to yeah nudge us whichever social media post nudged you to download this episode and let us know your thoughts uh, but in the meantime on behalf of susan and jake and dana this is bob saying thanks again and we'll see you on the next episode of learning geeks whenever that comes it'll be soon we promise bye-bye thanks everybody thanks so thank you